Hey there, people, and welcome back to the podcast. This testimony is from Western Australia, and we have Simon, who's our guest interviewer today, talking to Tara. Tara tells of a very tough time in her life, but after she weathered that storm, she was healed miraculously from celiac disease. Before we get into the podcast, I wanted to read just some information from Celiac Australia on the condition that Tara had. It says, in people with celiac disease, the immune system reacts abnormally to gluten, which is a protein found in wheat, rye, barley and oats, which causes small bowel damage. The tiny finger-like projections which line the bowel become inflamed and flattened and reduces the surface area of the bowel that is available for nutrient absorption, which can lead to various gastrointestinal symptoms. Symptoms can also be caused by inflammation of other parts of the body. So what are the long-term risks of undiagnosed and untreated celiac disease? The long-term consequences of untreated celiac disease are related to chronic system inflammation, poor nutrition and malabsorption of nutrients. All right, that's enough from me. Over to Simon and Tara. I'm Simon, and today I'm joined uh, by my lovely wife, Tara. Say hi, Tara. Hi, Tara. Very good. She often speaks about herself in the third person, so this could be an interesting podcast. Tara's going to share a story today about how she was healed from celiac disease. But before we get into that, we're going to hear from Tara and her story first and how she went from uh, being filled with the spirit to where, to where she is now. So tell us about it. All right. Um, my parents um, joined the Revival Fellowship um, four years before I was born. Um, I was a, a late surprise baby. Um, so they had uh, three other teenage kids and so they came to the Lord um, so when I was born, I was lucky and blessed to be taught from a young age the ways of God and Bible study and Sunday school. And so I had a good understanding from a young age of what he wants us to do in life. So when I was seven, I started praying for the Holy Spirit. So I used to pray with uh, my mum and dad every morning um, before dad went to work and a lot of the time I thought it was quite boring. I didn't really understand, but knew that I had to had to have the Holy Spirit. Um, and then I, I kind of had a little revelation. Um, I had a dream. Um, I was riding my bike down to the local shops, and it was just a dream, but it spooked me as a kid. And um, all the houses were starting to blow up into flames and I didn't understand so I thought I'd better ride home and so I rode home and as I rode in the driveway there was these two circles in the sky and and my sister said oh you've got to go into a different one because you don't have the spirit and my mum and dad were sitting and it looked like the the start of the meeting and I was like oh okay I don't really understand but I want to go with mum and dad oh she said oh you can't because you're not spirit filled and that kind of really scared me Like when I wake up the next morning, I thought, oh, this is serious. Like I really need the spirit. So um, I was praying every day and I received in January when I was 10. Um, I was praying on a Friday night meeting and, yeah, I received the spirit. So so how old were you when you had this this dream? Um, I don't really remember, but between the ages of 8 to 10. Hmm. And then how long after that was it before you started praying for the Holy Spirit? Uh, for the similar time, but I kind of thought it was as a kid, you just do what your parents tell you to do, and I didn't really understand the importance 
until I had that dream. Um, and then it kind of spooked me that if God came back right then and there, I wasn't going to heaven and I wasn't going where my parents were going and my family was going. And then you received the Holy Spirit? Yeah. You were baptised? Yeah. And that was at what age again? Ten. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then what was life after that? Was it pretty much just the same with an understanding of that you received? Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was very much the same. I mean, I was very, um, because mum and dad were already in the church, we, if we, if we were sick, you prayed and I'd had a few amazing miracles from a young age, like, um, but I could pray for myself then. I remember being involved in a car accident with mum and, um, the car was a complete write-off and it was very lucky that we both went severely hurt. We walked away from it um, unharmed, um, but it was a few nights later that I um, couldn't breathe very well and mum and dad rushed me to hospital because I could only take very shallow breaths and it was excruciating to breathe in deeply. And I'd been told that um, where the seatbelt had locked, it bruised all of my ribs, possible fracture on my ribs, and um, to come back the next day because I'd need to have ultrasounds to see how bad it was. Um, But they just sent me home with some painkillers and we prayed all the way home and I fell asleep Hmm. and woke up and I was fine. All right, so the next chapter of your life is pretty different. (laughs) Yeah. Would you like to take us through that? Yeah. Um, So, spirit-filled when I was 10. Um, When I was 14... um, we went through a massive trial, we being the family. Um, my dad um, got quite sick and um, he's never a person to have a cold or a flu or anything like that. And he was getting, not feeling very well and looking a bit jaundiced. Is that, I don't know if that's how you say it, jaundiced. Okay. Um, it's just where you get like yellowing in your eyeballs and, yeah, and your skin yep. looks a bit yellow. It's like something wrong with your liver. Anyway, so he went off to the doctor. Um, The doctor thought he had hepatitis, um, but thought it was maybe a little bit more serious. So he started going through tests um, and came back that he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, My dad fought in Vietnam and uh, through the time that he was at Vietnam um, was exposed to particular chemicals um and through that he had been growing a very slow deadly cancer over the 40 years that when he came home obviously getting that news is quite upsetting not easy not easy at all um but we were all very positive and it kind of didn't matter what the diagnosis was um that the lord would be with us through it all um it was so severe they needed to operate quite soon after we found out um so we had an operation um it was quite a hefty (laughs) operation he had from memory a lot of organs taken out and a big big 10 centimeter scar down his stomach and five tubes hanging out of him and had a lot of stuff taken out but um when we dropped him off at the hospital for the operation. Um, they said to my mum, just be careful when you come back because it was a 10-hour operation. Um, 
we don't think we should let your daughter come in because it might be quite confronting for a child. Yep. Um, but as soon as we walked in, I, being a strong-headed kid, budged my way through and there's Dad sitting up cracking jokes to the nurses and looked like he, nothing was wrong with him. And, um, yeah, it was pretty amazing to see that he recovered very quickly. The doctors were very gobsmacked and didn't really understand um, the survival rate of pancreatic cancers three to six months after and um and he was he was good took a while to kind of get over the operation um but after a good maybe four months he was back at work full time we owned a hardware store um it's good life and then and then yeah um I guess to digress a little bit um through that time um I was noticing uh, that I couldn't stomach bread or pasta or well, every time I was eating it, I was getting quite sick. So it was around that 12, 13, 14-year-old and I just would avoid it. My sister also has a few gut issues um, and I just thought it ran in the family and just don't eat it. So, um, so I didn't really ever pray about it or just dealt with it as it was. Uh, But then when I was 16, um, my dad woke up one day and was vomiting up bile. Sorry for everyone that doesn't have a strong stomach. No, it's okay. We've we've heard worse on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so we, um, he got up to go to the toilet and passed out. So mum and I called an ambulance and took him to hospital, um... And he was in hospital and we couldn't see him for eight hours. And I was so embarrassed because I was 16 and I was in my pyjamas in the middle of Fremantle, which is probably acceptable. Would blend in with the crowd. It's very hippie town. Um, so we then, mum had called my two brothers and my sister in. Uh, the doctor had requested to see the whole family. Um, and we, again, we went in and dad was totally fine eating sandwiches um they started to do these I guess you'd call it a comprehensive test uh with the doctor and he was doing it in front of us to kind of show that his brain wasn't functioning too well although he presented completely fine um but he would kind of do uh touch the doctor's finger and then touch your nose and touch the doctor's finger and touch your nose. But you could, he couldn't do that um, on the right side of his body, I think it was. Um, so we then all got sat down and the doctor asked us what we thought was wrong and I thought he'd had a stroke. Mum thought he had gastro. Um, and then we were told that the cancer was back and it had come back with a vengeance and... He had a 1.5 centimetre brain tumour, bottom left of his brain, and he had lung cancer. They weren't too concerned about the lung cancer because he was breathing fine, um, but they were quite worried about the brain tumour. Um, yeah, so he was kept in hospital for about, I think it was about four days from memory, um, 
And that was really hard to take because we'd kind of gone through, we'd gone through it already. We'd gone through that whole big operation and yeah. kind of moved on. It was very hard shock for my family. Yeah. So you went through a process of, of praying. He appeared to have gotten better and then also and then took a turn for the worse, uh, yeah. as you said. And then after that, then what happened after that? Uh, after he took a turn for the worse. Yeah, as you said, we had lots of prayer and fast and um, just had quite a lot of faith that the Lord would heal him. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, Thursday the 20th of July, 2006, he, mm. he passed away that night. And we, we understand that he's, uh, as it says in 1 Thessalonians, that he's asleep in Christ, of course. And although we're not, um, the podcast today isn't about that particular scenario itself, it's good to hear a backstory because it, it leads into how your mindset then changed. Um, and, then, and then following that, how you were healed from this celiac disease that you've already spoke about. Yeah. So can you talk about... Um, so unfortunately, you know, sadly he's obviously, as you mentioned, passed away. So talk about the next couple of years after that and how your, your yeah, mind changed. Yeah, so um, obviously that's very difficult, yeah. um, especially when you have, you know that people have been healed from cancers and mm. you, you kind of expect it, how you plan it out, how you would like it to go in your mind. Um, but... It's all in God's plan and he has a different thoughts to our thoughts. And um, I got very angry. I was only 16 and I didn't really understand um, the grieving process and I had to blame someone and God seemed like a good good person to blame at the time. Um, My mum was so strong um, through the whole time and she just thanked the time that they had together and didn't blame God once and and knew that this was all in his plan and she didn't like it, but she accepted it. Um, I unfortunately didn't and it was very hard because I had such a, an amazing childhood and uh, nothing had really gone very wrong. Uh, so it was very hard to then pray to God and because my prayer hadn't been answered how I wanted it to go, um, it was really difficult to then pray for anything and to ask God for anything. Um, I didn't I didn't ever want to leave the church. I really liked going to church and I knew that there was nothing in the world. Um, I was never really a kid that wanted to go out partying and drinking and a bit of an old soul, so... <laughs> I knew that I just wanted to keep coming to church, um, although I, my relationship with God was completely different. Um, yeah, I didn't. I just kept coming along. So, just if I can summarise there, so you, mm-hmm. you still you still loved God and you still loved the church, and you didn't have a reason to leave, but you were tainted somewhat by um, having lots of prayer and putting all the effort in of, of which the whole fellowship did, including myself, I remember. And, and yet, unfortunately, Graham didn't get the healing. So God works in mysterious ways. 
and he does things in our life in different ways, in, including, you know, he says that he, he gives and, and he takes. But what happened then after that? You know, after that couple of years of you finding it difficult, what happened then from there? Um, well, I met you. <laughs> I didn't meet you. We'd known each other. I thought you were a bit of a, a dork, oh, to well, be honest. Yeah, yeah let's... <laughs> um, I went to a young people's camp and, um, yeah, Simon and I uh, started showing interest and um, I don't know whether to talk to you because you're sitting there all like about you. Pretend I'm invisible. Okay. Any praise is, of course, welcome, <laughs> um, but not expected. Uh So Simon helped me um, just to kind of feel again and laugh and and kind of made me realise that it wasn't God's fault um, that my dad had passed away and and kind of, I guess, sparked my relationship with God again and I started praying a little bit more again. Yeah, now when you say you started praying a little bit more, Mm. had you stopped praying before that yes okay so from when graham passed away yeah you you had, didn't pray anymore no and was there any interest in like did you have an urge to pray and you threw it under the the rug as it were or did you did you even think about praying at that time or? uh i felt guilty um because i know that's how we communicate with god okay but no I, I just, I kind of refused. I think it was in my anger and grief that I just, I had a very poor attitude and had the attitude that, well, God does whatever he wants anyway, so what's the point of us asking? Yeah. And what's the point of us praying for anything? Because he doesn't answer our prayers yeah. how we want it. Yeah. Um, so I guess I yeah. created that little angry bubble and I was quite happy in it. Um but when I met you, it was just you kind of uh, had had a very opposite upbringing to me and had gone through quite a lot and you relied on prayer and you relied on the Lord getting you through and I kind of hadn't really thought about it like that before. Um, yeah, so I just started praying again. So how did that how did that transition, like I know that because you're speaking about me, I know that I didn't necessarily put any extra effort into trying to help you pray because I didn't even understand where you were at that time. So perhaps just meeting someone might have just sparked that that change just because that's a complete change in scenery and environment and yeah. culture and I... of, of the way you are. But where did, where did it actually sort of click for you that, oh, why don't we try this thing again? Was it at Young People's Camp? Yeah, I think so. I think it was... Um, I think I was just very humbled to see you uh, when you'd been through so much but still wanted to pray to God. Um, and I guess just seeing someone new, not my family, yeah. who's still in the grieving process, yeah. quite often you turn to your family, but they're all quite... Not similar to me. My mum was very strong, but you don't really want advice from your family. So I think... Maybe finding someone new that had been through a lot um, but still had such an amazing relationship with God. I think maybe just realised that I needed to start that again and I wanted, I was 
maybe jealousy. Maybe I wanted that connection with God again. Mm. I find it so interesting how I, I truly believe that God puts people in your life. And for any listeners out there, I, I firmly believe there's much more that Tara did for me in my Christian walk um, than I did for her. But this is uh, her story, of course. So getting back to the, to the celiac thing, mm. Because this is a great, this is the, yeah. the main story <laughs> the <kicker>. here. Yeah. So. <laughs> so when I was the year I turned nineteen, um, I went to a young people's camp. Before the young people's camp, the year I turned nineteen, um, it was getting quite bad. Um, the mm. gluten issue. I remember. Um, I was constantly asked if I was pregnant because I just was bloated beyond belief and any I started getting affected by not just the obvious bread pasta uh it was starting to get little things like sauces like a barbecue sauce on some chicken that would make me quite ill um uh and I remember being at work one day and I fainted and um it was starting to get quite bad and I was starting to faint from it just spot fainting I remember fainting in the gifts once <laughs> just dropped like a fly mm. um so mum said oh, I think this has gone on for long enough I think we need to go and get you checked out so we went to my doctor and he booked me in for a specialist appointment there was all these instructions and I had to eat as much gluten as I could for three days before um and I was so sick. I was so, so sick. Um, and when I went to this specialist appointment, you had to get all these blood tests and everything. And um, when we went back for the results, um, he basically explained it that there's two different types of celiac disease. Um, people that just eat the gluten constantly and build up intolerance to it. Um, so they're gluten intolerant. Um or there's a celiac disease that you're born with. Um, it's a genetic makeup. Um, so I was born with, I don't really know the technical stuff, but without okay. a particular gene. Yep. Um, so my body can't actually process the um, gluten, the gluten yep. that's found yeah, in the wheat and things. Um, and if I was to keep eating it... Um, there's all these little villi's, they're called villi's in your stomach and your bowel and things, and they damage. And through that damage, you can get all sorts of Crohn's disease and um, uh, quite possibly bowel cancer and things like yep. that. Um, and he said that I had to be booked in for an endoscopy and a colonoscopy to see how much damage had already happened to see the extent um but from that day i was told that i could not uh partake in any gluten whatsoever so chocolate everything yummy (laughs) i cannot have um and i was referred to a dietitian so we could talk about the future um and i walked away feeling very stressed and quite heavy um but my mum was quite surprisingly cool as a cucumber and said well you know what to pray about now just to be clear celiac disease is incurable correct okay yeah all right so you've been diagnosed 
Yeah. Now are we up to speed with being yeah. at camp? So then I went to the camp. Everyone kind of knew the bad news. And um, we had a few visitors from Adelaide and um, we're quite good friends with Rosie and Jackson. Rosie had had a pretty amazing healing um, on a gut issue that she had. And I really love Rosie because she's very blunt. She's Italian, so you kind of get that. But um, she just said to me, you need this healing on your celiac disease. Why don't you just really pray about it? Yep. Um, yeah, and she told me about her healing. She goes, you need to pray about this. And I went, yeah, probably should. Um, so she said, well, would you like to go now and we'll have some prayer? So uh, where are Young People's Camp is held. It's in a beautiful part of WA, right smack bang in the middle of the yep. National Forest and it was very, very chilly and it was beautiful. We went for a big, long walk and we sat down. We set my alarm for an hour and I had a solid hour's prayer and um, my original tongue that I had received when I was 10 completely changed uh, that day and I just felt like I had let go of a big bag of bricks I'd been carrying around and felt like I connected with God again. Um, it was a really emotional time. It was, I felt like God was listening. I felt like he was just, I was just talking to him right across from me and I just really gave everything to God and just said, I can't, I can't deal with this. And if there's any possible way that you feel it's right to heal me, can you please do it? Um, and then once we'd done that, I just felt different and I just said, I think I've been healed. Um, there's only one way to test that theory. <laughs> and I felt sorry for all the cooks in the kitchen that had made me a beautiful gluten-free meal. Um, but I uh, took part in Italian night and ate pasta and garlic bread and all the naughty things and was waiting. Normally within half an hour I'd be vomiting and probably fainting and being quite sick. Um, and we were waiting and we were all looking at our clocks, everyone on the dinner table, and it's been half an hour, it's been an hour. I went to bed and I woke up and I was completely normal. Mm, well, it's amazing how... Um I find it amazing how God, throughout that, uh, that, and we'll get to it in just a second, but just throughout that time where there was quite a drought for you with God, it's spoken about in the Bible on numerous occasions about how uh, the person that goes away from God and turns their back on God, even if it's not fully in your, in your case, or fully, that every time that they will pray to God, that God will hear them instantly like it's the first time that they pray again and all he's looking for is us to turn to him and he will hear our prayer regardless of what state of mind we're in and that act of prayer that you gave on the hill or wherever you went walking to was to God was exactly what he was looking for and and from there you were then healed of disease that is incurable and we both know people that have it and that have been pretty surprised to say the least and well, in, I'm sure in some cases dumbfounded that mm. you were even healed at all right yeah 
um, just to wrap this up then, was that a catalyst into you being able to pray again and, and realize that God does heal? Yeah, exactly. It confirmed to me that God is still working in my life and although life doesn't go how you plan it, um, but it's all in God's hands. Even to this day, um, when I pray and I, I really have a diligent prayer, my tongue still changes completely. Mm. And I think it's God's little way in showing me that. Reminding you. Reminding me that he's still alive mm. and working in our life and, mm. and I can just pray about everything now. And although it is God's will, how it turns out. Um, mm. I think that's been a big lesson from my point of view for you as well. Yeah, but you still can pray yeah. and ask just like a child asking a parent for something. Yeah. Your parent might say no and you don't understand as a kid mm. why you can't have a certain thing, but the parent knows best. They've got a lot of wisdom. Um, so it's just, I guess, being humble and accepting that God knows what our life is and what it will be. And, yeah, it's been a good walk. Just to wrap up, I, um, I haven't asked you to bring a favourite scripture, but I know what your favourite is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another by these words. And why is that your favourite? It's because I know that if I stick with God, and I'm very happy to do that, that my dad is just sleeping and he'll be raised up first and we'll be able to see that and then we'll be raised up to see all together again. Yeah. It's a massive comfort. Sort of almost two stories, two testimonies in there, but both have significance for each other um, in that you were able to restore your faith in God through being healed of such a great condition, something that clearly affected your life. And it's amazing that we can uh, talk about it and we can reflect on it constantly. And I've heard that many times. It's still a reminder for me and many others that God heals. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. What an amazing testimony of a truly miraculous healing. I want to read again to you from Celiac Australia. They pose the question, can celiac disease be cured? The response is, people with celiac disease remain sensitive to gluten throughout their entire life. So in this sense, they are never cured. However, a strict gluten-free diet does allow the condition to be managed effectively. A strict lifelong gluten-free diet is currently the only recognised medical treatment for celiac disease. By removing the cause of the disease, a gluten-free diet allows the small bowel lining to heal and symptoms to resolve. As long as the gluten-free diet is strictly adhered to, problems arising from celiac disease should not return. Relapse occurs if gluten is reintroduced into the diet. Well, obviously, that statement doesn't take into consideration the wonderful grace and healing power of our God. If you want to know more about how God can miraculously heal you, visit www.therevivalfellowship.com or you can send us an email at podcast at revivalontheairtoday.com. 
Thanks for listening. And until next time, God bless.